0: Good morning, saints. It is always a big joy to gather together uh, with you on a Sunday morning, uh, even with those who are online uh, with us in spirit. Uh, I invite you to uh, take your Bibles and uh, turn or scroll to Matthew chapter six. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter six we are traveling through or working our way through Jesus' first sermon, his first teaching discourse called the Sermon on the Mount. We're about halfway through the material that Matthew gives us. As you might suspect, Jesus' teaching is a theological masterpiece. It cuts at the very heart It is convicting, it is arresting, it is riveting, it is full of rich content. What Jesus does in chapter 5, now of course there was no chapter 5 when Jesus was speaking, but for our benefit, the first section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus confronts the religious leaders of the day who were held in high esteem and Jesus being the son of God showcases their hypocrisy. He exposes them for who they are and he exposes their religiosity for what it is. He demonstrates powerfully how far and how deeply they have departed from not only the word of God, but the heart of God. But Jesus does not only speak to the Pharisees. He speaks to each and every one of us. And he demonstrates for us over and over and over again by using examples in the Old Testament. The peril of trying to establish our own righteousness, of trying to earn our way into heaven, to be forgiven, to become a Christian, however you want to put it. Jesus shows us that if you're going to attempt to take God's truth, God's law, and say, well, there's my checklist, he shows us how impossible and ill-advised that is. Now, in chapter 6, he's speaking to us in terms of, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is the normal Christian life. These are principles that we should pay attention to in walking with Christ. So he does so by engaging us in a very particular way. Basically having addressed the teachings of the religious leaders, he now highlights their lifestyle. And basically he says, don't do that. It's a series of don't do it this way. You might have seen or observed people living in this way, often the religious leaders, but he's going to tell us that's not how you do it. To follow me, there must be a marked difference than what you see around you. Now, the last two Sundays, we used the first verse of chapter 6 as our control verse. Kind of like a rudder showing us the way that we should go. So today and next Sunday, as we wrap up chapter 6, we're going to go to the last verse in chapter 6. And that will be our control verse. That is like a rudder. It's going to direct us and point us in the right direction so we can fully not only understand what Jesus is teaching, but actually and also apply it to live by it. You are surely familiar with this verse. It is Matthew chapter six, verse Thirty-three, And it's the first phrase that I'm after. But... In contrast... But... Seek first... The kingdom of God... And his righteousness. In all that you do... Seek... His... Kingdom. Live... By kingdom values... And principles. Seek... His righteousness his way, his perspective. Christians, this is our true north. This basic concept, this basic direction, if we can get this straight, if we can get the big picture right, those details of our lives will begin To fall in place. If we continue to head in this direction, as we grow in the Lord, as we grow in Christ, increasingly we will fill in the details of our lives in keeping with this big picture. Seek the kingdom of God first, always, and in every way. So let's read our text together. This is Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves, he says, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But in contrast, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And oh, the scriptures have so much to say about our hearts. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other. Or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Literally, mammon, which was a Hebrew concept. Your possessions, your money, your wealth, and so forth. So let's, let's, um, let's put some of this into perspective, and I apologize for the slides. We need to go back, uh, a few, a few slides. So the catch about what Jesus is speaking to here is this is not the natural disposition of any human being who has been born since Adam, excluding, of course, Jesus. Our natural disposition is not to seek the things of God. So Jesus is, is speaking to his followers saying, this is now your true north. You need to grow in this. John chapter 3 verse 19 we all know John 3:16 but oh the context of that verse and seeing the verses that follow John 3:16 are so instructive for us this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. That is the condition of our heart. So when the prophets came in the old Testament one by one and said, guys, remember God, remember serving him, remember loving your neighbor, all those basic things that we've been talking about all along. Well, they eventually would often stone or kill them because they didn't want to hear the message. And it's the same when, The son of God came. Oh, we love to look back and we love to see that first Christmas day, if you will, when Jesus was born and the beauty and the majesty and all that that represents. But the truth is people hated him. They resisted him. Why? Because he spoke the truth about their own heart. But look at what Jesus ultimately is speaking to. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what Jesus is angling us towards. And this is what Peter is looking back saying, look at what God has done for us. Now, here's the question. In light of what God has done. Why would we live for anything lesser? Why would we set our affections on things that will only fade away? Why would we set our affections and our goals and all of our energy on that which is temporal? So what Jesus begins to teach us from square one, the apostles, one after the other, will affirm what Jesus is saying. We'll see how Paul does the same thing as well later on. Jesus is pointing us to this reality. Your life and everything. Everything within it has a shelf life. So what are you living for? Where is your affection? Where are your affections? That's what Susie read earlier on, right? Set your mind on things above, not on things here. Of course, we give attention to them, but we don't want them to hold our heart. That's the key. Now. In engaging Jesus' teaching, remember the heart of Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He would later on say, rest for your soul. Those of us who have lived long enough and who have lived with divided devotion or who have given our allegiance or our best energies to things that don't matter in light of eternity, will attest it's exhausting and it's also empty. Jesus' gracious invitation has come to me and I will give you rest, rest for your soul." It is not only the best thing to do, the obvious thing to do to live in light of eternity, but it literally is the best thing for us. We will never be fulfilled. In fact, it's often said the most miserable person on earth is the Christian living outside of God's will because we know better. We're made for so much more than living for the here and the now. So we've read our text with all of this in mind. My point in, in directing you to that last, this verse right here, Matthew 11, is this. The temptation remains for us to view the Sermon on the Mount in a very legalistic way. Jesus is actually preaching against that very idea or that concept. Look at the principles that Jesus lays down. Hear his heart. And align your life accordingly. Ask the Lord to fill in the blanks for you, to give you wisdom in specific matters. But never, ever, ever, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, take things and become legalistic with them and do what the Pharisees wound up doing. Because in so doing, you will, you might miss the heart of God by, by a long shot. So we've read our text. Now I want to simply propose to you the five boxes. That we have been considering up until now. To understand. What Jesus is speaking to. He speaks about treasures. Now it would be natural for us to just think about money. Or possessions. Which that is something he speaks to directly. But I want to begin. By proposing to you. That when Jesus speaks about treasures, he's speaking about more than just money or wealth or possessions. Because Jesus is speaking first and foremost, the people gathered around him were poor. This is not a text that applies only to a certain amount of people who are well off financially. This is for every single one of us. The question is. What are our treasures? Jesus will speak specifically to money and to possessions and so forth. But there are a lot of other things that we treasure in life. We treasure our reputation. We treasure our legacy, perhaps in an unhealthy way. We treasure all kinds of things. Jesus is directing our general attention to say, do not lay up treasures here, but there. The first thing to understand once again is it's actually not about you. Your life is no longer your own. We live our lives for the glory of God, which will likely result in the good of those around us. It's very simple. The concept of being selfish or self-centered should be banished from our thinking. So many so naturally live for the here and the now. Don't labor for that which is fleeting. Do not labor and stay awake at night worrying about that which will not endure. Do not spend your life working for things that literally can be stolen. Or taken away from you. Or let's just say the stock market that goes like this. Don't do that. Pertaining specifically to material possessions. The joyful mindset of the early church. Was to detach themselves from the things that they owned. Acts chapter 2 says this, beginning in verse 44. This is only the second chapter of the history of the church of Jesus Christ. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple, remember there's no church buildings then, uh, together, and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and at that point having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see the immediate effect of the gospel? It's it's comprehensive. They were worshiping together. They were gathering together. That we understand. They were worshiping together. They were breaking bread together. But what happened, the gospel necessarily realigns your priorities and your affections. So those things that they owned that were theirs, well, they no longer considered them theirs. Some of it they just got rid of and sold because we realize, you know, this family over here or these people here, they're not doing so well financially. They need a helping hand so I can get rid of stuff that I don't need and I can be a blessing to someone over here with the proceeds. And the overall context, I love verse 47. And the Lord added to their, to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, in the context of this beautiful Christian community living itself out, working itself out, people were being saved. The Lord was at work in that context. Secondly, our second box. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an audience of one and only one. Your heart's desire now, your aim in life is to please him. Of course, the overflow of that will help other people. But our focus is As we wake up in the morning, how can I serve God? How can I be available to Him? How can I bring glory to Him? Look at the statements that Jesus made. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. Don't quote for me your doctrinal statements. I'll watch your life. And you'll show me in short order where your affections truly are. And Jesus, again, he is not looking to, to beat us down. He is calling us to a higher standard in light of this heavenly inheritance that we now have. In light of all that God has done for us, we can release ourselves. From the things that other people run after. Keep in mind. It's not just about what your eye can see. The gospel opens us up to the spiritual dimension. It opens us up up to that which we cannot yet see. With our eyes. That's why we say. When people are promoted to glory, we say that their faith has now become sight. It's no longer faith when you're in heaven. You're living it. You see, whether it is money or possessions or otherwise, Paul experienced the crushing loss of someone whom he was partnering with being pulled By the the allure of the world. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is Demas. Demas in love with this present world. Has deserted me. And gone on. To Thessalonica. What a terrible thing. But saints we know. The world pulls at us. Every single day. And in so many different ways. It's why we need each other for accountability, for encouragement, that we don't get sucked away or pulled away by all the different ways that the world can draw us. Remember the scripture says, it is the love of money which is the root of all evil. It is erroneous to assert that the scripture says that to have money or in a healthy way to work hard for money is a bad thing. The question is, does money, possessions, does it control you? Is that where your affections are? That is the root of all kinds of evil in our life. If in a general sense, We wake up and we are driven by money and earning it and using it and having it. That opens up the door for all kinds of evil. Oh, but blessed is that man or woman who can earn money, have money, and use it for God's glory and consider it a blessing. Remember Solomon, how the wisest man in the world. He should have known better. Money and women totally sabotaged him. The opening of the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, they tried to play the game. The catch is they were dealing with apostles, and you don't want to try to be a hypocrite with an apostle because they can kind of see through you. And so, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and then his wife Sapphira drop down. as a message to the church we're going to do things differently take a look if you will I don't have a slide for this but uh, 1st Timothy 1st Timothy chapter 6 just want to read this for you 1 Timothy chapter 6. I was thinking about this actually just driving in this morning. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich... Not just in their bank account, but to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, there are people by God's providence and perhaps through their own hard work who are going to be well off. Now, the question is, what do you do with that? Do you keep it for yourself? Or do you look around and you see the needs of others and you use your money to be generous towards those who are in need? Bucket number three. God will reward you. There is a concept that that underpins everything that Jesus is speaking to. You see, if you don't have the Lord in your life, you will feel the crushing responsibility to make everything happen. But when we know the Lord, we can put everything in context. We know that he will take care of us. We don't use that as a license to be lazy, to be irresponsible. But we don't have to run after All that the world will often run after. Our reward is both in heaven and heaven itself. Look at how Peter, again, drew this out. Peter talked about us being born again into an inheritance. Now watch this. That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And it is kept in heaven for you. Do you see how the Holy Spirit in, in giving us the scriptures gives us this, this composite view? Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust corrupt. Where thieves will come in and... Br-. Everything here is tenuous. You could lose so much literally in an instant. And Jesus and the apostles are saying, don't, don't live for that. Rather, look at the inheritance that you have been given. Now, I'll give you a personal example, and I've spared you the visual on this. So one thing that I recently have decided for myself uh, is that I want to better my ability within my own home to fix things and get things done in a timely fashion. If anybody knows Colin well, you know that my middle name is not handyman, right? There's certain things that I can do, but there's a lot of things that I can't. And I'm thankful that over the years, I have good friends who will help me with a lot, but I became determined. I'm like, you know what? There are certain, I'm going to do these things myself. My family, I put them on notice. They've been patient, might take a An expert or a professional, you know, a day or so, it'll take your dad maybe a week, right? So we got some faucets that we've had to fix. But last night, I came to the final part where I'm taking out that last part of the sink that has been there unchanged for at least 20 years. We're by no means the first owner of the house. And so you know what this looks like when you clean out the J-trap and all that. You've got, it is disgusting, It is nasty, right? Because it's just this cumulative gunk that has just been stored up. But I want to leave you with that image. You're welcome. It's in your mind. You make it the way, because you all have sinks too. you know exactly what I'm talking about. But this is what Jesus and this is what the apostles, this is what they're driving towards. Everything here is temporal. It's going to decay. It's going to get nasty, like some of this stuff. It might get stolen. It might change on a dime. Why would you build your life and set your affections On things that are temporal. And again, I'm not saying be irresponsible and don't work and earn a paycheck. I'm I'm talking about your heart. If your heart is set there, you're going to be let down. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Peter stands up and says, guys, look at what God has in store for us. Paul says... As Susie read earlier, set your mind there, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Set your affections there, not here. And saints, if we can take this to heart, if we can put this into practice, God will work out the details. Four, uh, fifth, I believe, and no, fourth, we're almost done. Fourth box. Eternal perspective, very closely connected to what we just looked at. Do not make the mistake of living as a pauper in this world. Don't make the mistake of being distracted and discouraged by everything around you. You have a heavenly inheritance. You did not earn it. It was gifted to you. Live with an eternal perspective. Paul put it this way. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the Things that are unseen are eternal. So my question simply to you is this. What are you living for? Oh, the world is tricky. It's tempting. There's a pull. There's a tug. In fact, it's always tugging. So this is not a once for all decision that we make. And then everything is great after that. You wake up every single day. And you decide... Where's my focus by God's grace going to be today? This is what Jesus is pointing us towards. Does the trajectory of our life point us towards that which is eternal, that which is righteous, that which is the best, the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, or is it lesser things? Box number five. And the flows from the others. God loves you and God will take care of you. He will care for you. And we'll see that again next week as well. Jesus is not seeking to beat us down and tell us everything that we're doing wrong. Nor is he waiting to just squish us he's showing us our birthright he's showing us what has been purchased for us you and i have the awesome privilege of living for him living for eternity and being a blessing to those around us we need not be people who are selfish or self-centered or who are living only for ourselves. What a blessing that we can give ourselves away first to the Lord and then for the better of those around us. Now I'll close by giving you a personal example of what this looks like. Sadly, most of you have never met my grandparents. They are the single most impactful example that I have in my life outside of my immediate family. My grandparents, after they served as missionaries in Africa and France, they came back to England, which is, was home for them, and they spent their latter years there. But they would come over to visit us here in the United States and Rest in Bible Church about every two years, and they were older. They would come for about six weeks or so. But the impact that they had on people when they came is what most catches my attention, right? So they're both, they're with the Lord now, but they were both a solid four foot ten or so, right? And they. He's Irish, she's Welsh, right? So they got the accents going on. But I'm just telling you, the joy that was on their countenance was the most beautiful and infectious thing. Because you can't fake the joy of the Lord. Oh, you can put your mask on. We know what that looks like on a Sunday morning. But long term, you can't do that. But the joy of the Lord that was welling up inside of them from their very simple walk with God, literally living for the kingdom and spending time in his presence. By no means was their life easy, by the way. But they had a very simple perspective, which is to love God, to serve him, and to love those around them. And they indeed Spend hours a day in his presence, as they would say. I'll give you one last example. My grandmother had dementia dementia for the last eight or nine years of her life. So it it is a very, very sad thing. And many of you, I'm sure, have experienced this as well. Your loved ones don't even, even remember your name. My brothers aren't here, so I'll just say I was the favorite grandchild, so she rarely forgot my name. But here's the thing. My granny would literally from moment to moment forget what had just happened. She would always ask where Bobby is. That's my granddad. He was never more than six feet away from her. Um but he would walk into the other room. Where's Bobby? Where'd Bobby go? Right? Um, but here's the thing when my granny would pray, it was always humorous to me as a teenager to kind of see this play out because people would say, okay, let's, let's just pray together. And in their mind, they're thinking, we're going to have like a, a, a five minute little prayer session before we go on to do something else. But here's what would happen with my granny completely oblivious to any and everything around her in the moment. She would begin to settle in and pray. And she would pray. And she would pray. But it was the most beautiful and captivating thing because you knew, you knew. I knew as a 16 year old that she was in the presence of God. I knew it. And you never wanted her to stop. Oh, the mind was falling apart for sure. The body as well as she got older. But oh, her spirit. And that's what Paul speaks to. Her spirit was being renewed day by day by day. And the psalmist says the same thing. Those who love the Lord, who walk with the Lord, as they get older, yes, their body begins to let them down. But, oh, they're full of joy because you can't break their spirit. You can. So I commend this passage to you you can ask yourself the very simple question based upon that last verse in the chapter. Seek first the kingdom of God. No matter what you're doing, what stage of life you're in, what challenge you're facing, small situation or big picture, you just ask yourself this question. Am I seeking first that which matters? Not which matters most. Am I seeking that which matters because when I align myself big picture and increasingly in the details of my life to serve an audience of one, the details will come together and you will become known as one who is a blessing and good news to those around you and your unsaved neighbors, colleagues, friends, whatever, who don't like, what you stand for, they will never be able to argue against your life. I say this, I don't know how else to say it. They will both hate and love you. They will hate what you stand for, but they will be, in, they will be compelled by what's inside. Matthew chapter 6, will wrap it up next week with the other big topic of anxiety and worry which is for all of us. Would you bow and prepare your hearts uh, for prayer? What a journey it is to walk through our Savior's teaching. He is himself the Word of God, now teaching us the written Word of God, lit on fire by the Spirit of God. May we pay attention uh, to what Jesus is telling us to. And we all need to hear this. Lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth, and seek first the kingdom of God. As we close out and as we pray in just a moment, we have to first take just a, a second to clarify and speak clearly to what I had referenced before. You can't live for God if you're not right with him. Literally the entire narrative of the New Testament is our need to be reconciled with God. If you read the New Testament as a how to live better manual, you will frustrate yourself And you will miss the entire point. The entire message of the New Testament is to be reconciled with God. To have your sins forgiven. Which is something you cannot do by yourself? The simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Where is your faith? Where is your confidence? Christ indeed laid down his life, was buried, and rose again. He's not in the tomb anymore. The good news of the gospel is that apart from our works, our effort, our church attendance, our offering money, whatever it is that we consider good that we do, that actually is irrelevant. When we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ... Jesus says you pass from death to life. You're born again. And that's where the exhilarating journey begins of following Christ and serving him and living for something in someone so much bigger than yourself and actually living in light of eternity. That flows naturally from being born again. We just want to get that right. So, to my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, the question that obviously I asked myself before I even step up here is simply this. Today, where are your affections? I know what your creed might be. I know what you might say. But examine this past week, examine this past year, because it will become very obvious very quickly where your heart is where your treasure is. So I simply apply the word of the Lord to each and every one of us this morning. If we need to realign ourselves, if we need to repent, if we need to make changes with not only our direction, but the more important thing is that is our heart, let's do that now. And let's consider this throughout the week. Let the Lord have his way in us. Let's pray together. Oh, great God, we worship you this morning. We recognize and we acknowledge without condition or qualification that you and you alone are worthy of all of our praise, our best efforts, our lives. Thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Christ in the gospel. The gospel is indeed good news, but it comes on the heels of bad news, which is what Matthew 5 is all about. We need to be reconciled to you. We need to have our sins forgiven. We need to be in your family, but we're not. And we cannot change or effect that through our own efforts, our own merit, our own religiosity, our own devotion, our own good works towards other people, that's, we can't do that. Oh, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who come to the place where they recognize they have nothing without you. That is a heart that is well prepared to receive the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we are all dealing with uncertainty, with disruption, with an understandable fear. Father, would you please minister to our hearts, inform our minds, help us to trust you in big and little things, help us to not be controlled by the tyranny of the urgent. Help us to direct our steps in such a way that we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth. Help us to understand more and more each and every day what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. To fulfill that great narrative and that great teaching of the New Testament by multiple apostles that we are pilgrims passing through. We do not belong here. We are citizens of heaven. What a joyous and beautiful reality it is. That that which supersedes our past, our ethnicity, anything that defines us in this world. Is that we are a follower of Christ and we are a part of the body of Christ. His glorious church for which he laid down his life and he bled out so that we could be redeemed so that he would have a people, a remnant here on earth who are zealous to do good. Oh, Lord, may we live up to that to which we have been called to. And we can only do that through the fellowship with your Holy Spirit, by your power, by your anointing. Let us walk in that. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.